Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Psalm 133. If you found it, would you say amen? The Bible says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. And so for just a short few moments tonight, I want to talk to you from a very, very familiar passage of Scripture and most likely a very, very familiar subject. And I want to talk to us, us, about the blessing of unity. Can we just lift our hands one more time? Let's pray that the Lord's anointing would rest upon us. Lord, we love you. And God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that you have provided us to be in this place. I'm asking you, Lord, to anoint our minds and our hearts together. God, help me speak the word, Lord, with great clarity. But God, help us all in this place to receive it, Lord, the way that you have intended. God, let the word do the work, and we'll give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. If you're going to help me, you can be seated in Jesus' name. The blessing of unity. Unity is a very important subject. If we were to take an inventory of the most recent events in human history, list them out, starting as far back as we can remember up until the most recent, I would have to say that it's sad, but we could see the progression of how more dire and how more leaning toward negative events this world has taken. Our nation, though it's still the, the greatest nation on earth, Please don't misunderstand me. I'm thankful to be a, to have been born in the United States. Thankful for this country, and I'm thankful for what it's founded on. But though all of that set aside, you can look at the progression of where we're going and where we have been, and you can see that without a shadow of a doubt, the United States is becoming less and less united. You don't have to look very far. You don't have to read very many headlines to see that the world, even even our, our nation itself, in the disregard for life, the absolute absence of care for property, and the absence of care for liberty, all of those things are quickly being eroded out from underneath us. And we have people that have emerged out of certain situations, certain special interest groups that will 
remain nameless tonight, but if you have watched the news, you know who I'm speaking of when I say that they are thinly veiled and cloaked in an outer appearance of unity, yet the only thing that they are after is their own agenda, to push their own beliefs and their own set of standards upon other people. They, they think that they are helping them that are in need of some sort of advocacy, some, some, some group of people that are afflicted in some ways, but really and truly they are only acting on their own behalf and for their own selves in the sake of their own agenda. We live in a world that, that there's no doubt that we see every day that men and women do what's right in their own eyes. And they do the things that only benefit themselves and themselves alone. Fellow man and the love for fellow man is waxing colder and colder and colder by the moment, as we speak, it's waxing colder and colder and colder. The natural inclination that mankind once possessed to give of themselves for a greater good, to sacrifice of themselves for a greater cause is quickly falling away and is no longer a common attribute, yet it is an exception to the rule. And I haven't come to this desk to paint our world black tonight, I haven't come to give you all the negative things that are happening in the world, but it's just simply what it is. There's a statement that says it is what it is, and it really is what it is. It's where we are. The term every man for himself is more than just a catchphrase nowadays. This mentality that has taken our world by storm society that we live in. We could be fooling ourselves tonight if we could sit here on these padded pews and believe that that's all out there and has no way of reaching in here. We would be fooling ourselves if we were to think that we were somehow exempt from any kind of effects that the world would have on us as a people today. This mentality, it's not only taken our world by storm, but hear me tonight, it has bled in to the church world as well. There's a, there's a philosophy out there, a mentality, a, 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 a way of mind that says, what's in it for me? It's infringing upon that selfless, brotherly love lifestyle that a follower, a real, true follower of Jesus Christ is commanded to live I'm not just speaking out of turn tonight. Paul warned us of this in 2 Timothy 3 in verses 1 through 5. He said, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. In verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. Having a form of godliness, this is what tells me that this has an, the opportunity of reaching in 
to the church world and the umbrella that is called church and where men can come in and creep in unaware and begin to lead people astray by their own agendas and not the agendas of God. See, we're warned, but then we are admonished to turn away and walk away. See, we're supposed to walk in the direct opposition of the current of our social economy. We're supposed to walk in direct opposition of the world, but I'm here to tell you there are some things that have bled into the church that we are admonished to walk away from. It, it doesn't always, it, it's not always good just because it may look good doesn't mean that it's always good. So we need to try the spirits. We need to know where it's coming from. And then if it's not from God, we simply need to turn away. So if the world is walking in the direction of disunity and the mentality of dog eat dog has overtaken it, how much more should the church of the living God be walking in the direction of absolute unity? Can somebody say amen? If the world is walking in the direction of disunity, how much more should we be walking in the opposite direction towards absolute unity? We receive instruction in this, Ephesians chapter 4. Paul said this, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you. You walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bonds of peace. And so it sounds elementary. It sounds a little bit less than what we're used to hearing over-the-top preaching. It sounds elementary, yet it is really the most profound. We must first love one another. We must first love one another. It seems like something we should already know, something that we should already have nailed down, and I believe that we do. But as the winds of this world begin to blow, and as the Stakes that are already driven down begin to shake. Sometimes some things can come loose. It's like Justin said just this past Sunday. There's some things that we need to just keep nailing down and nailing down and nailing down and nailing down. If the world in and of itself is waxing colder and colder in love, then it ought to alarm us. It ought to wake us up and say, am I doing what I need to be doing in the body of Christ? We first must love one another. We must understand that the only way the body of Christ will benefit, the only way that the kingdom of God will be advanced in this earth is for the church. I'm talking about me. I'm the church. When I was filled with the Holy Ghost, I became the temple of God. So for the church to operate in complete and absolute unity. And the only way that that unity can be facilitated is love one another. I'm not talking about what the world calls love. I'm talking about unconditional love. Agape love, brotherly love, brotherly affection, goodwill toward each other, benevolence. The word literally means love feasts. So much love, so much love that it absolutely cannot be measured. Selfless love. 
It comes from a root word that means to welcome, to entertain, to be fond of, and to love dearly. But hear me tonight. All of this can only be obtained through and with and on the basis of absolute apostolic doctrine. Paul is not saying that you have to accept everything that comes down the pike. He's not saying that we have to reach out and embrace everything that presents itself to us. But we are to love one another and we are to love this world, but we are to love it in the bonds of peace and through apostolic doctrine. Paul explains apostolic doctrine in the same chapter that we just read, but in further verses in chapter, in chapter 4 of Ephesians, verses 4 through 6. He, he explains what this love is to be based on. There is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. This is it. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. You see, in verses 1 through 3, Paul calls for unity in the strongest terms possible. But then in verses 4 through 16, he qualifies those conditions in truth and absolute apostolic doctrine. Now this is going to be cumbersome for a few minutes, but let's read it. Ephesians 4 and 8 through 16. Wherefore he, Jesus, saying, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. Hear me, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So Paul is saying this. You need to love one another. And you need to love people. But you don't have to love what they do. You don't have to love what they teach. And you don't have to love what they put inside of your, in, in front of your face. Because there's only one Lord, there's only one faith, and there's only one baptism. There's only one way. His name is Jesus. It's unity. But it's unity in apostolic doctrine. Let's look at what unity is. Unity simply defined as this, the state 
of being united or joined as a whole, the state of forming a complete and pleasing whole. Hold on to that for a minute. And pleasing whole, especially in an artistic context, a thing forming a complex whole. So it's one unit that comes together with other units that creates unity. I don't mean to insult your intelligence tonight, but it really is simple. God chose the simple things to confound the wise. He chose the base things to, to stand far above all the things that the world says is complex. It's just simple. But in order for us to be in unity, we have to display the Christ-like love, that agape love that God so earnestly prayed for. It's selfless. It's selfless. It's leaving off the things that I think should be. I'm not talking about doctrine. And it's pressing toward the mark with fellow brethren. It's selfless. It's amazing to me to see how society has changed so much. I mentioned this earlier, but I, I believe this I believe this is very relevant to where we are today. John F. Kennedy once said in an inaugural address, he said, My fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. A statement that once garnered such support rallied so many people around him. For him to say, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Now, people are looking for, what can you give me? And that's what bases everything off of. What can I get out of this? How is this going to affect me? How is this going to help me and further my cause and my own agenda? It's what can I get out of this that drives people? But hear me today. This cannot be so with the church. It cannot be so. We can't allow that kind of thinking. And I am not berating anyone here today to say that this is going on here. Please, please don't misunderstand me. What I am doing is warning us against something that is so prevalent in our world. It has the ability to infiltrate everything that we are if we don't if we don't stand up to it, if we don't stand in opposition against it, it can infiltrate our own thinking and our own lives. See, the church is the only entity in, in the earth that calls men and women out of darkness. It's the only entity that has called men and women to rise above the so-called so social structure of our day and live not according to those rules, but according to the scripture. It's the only entity in the earth that has called men and women to come together for one cause and one cause only. And so this is the question. We know what to do, but how should we do it and what should we be doing? Our greatest example, if we're going to ask the question, has to come from Scripture. And if we are going to be the church that God has called us to be, both individually and collectively, we have to look at the example of what the first century church set, even in the 21st century. 
I'm here to just proclaim tonight that there's nothing in this book that is antiquated. There's nothing that has fallen away that is not for us today. But I'm here to tell you from cover to cover, it is for us today. If they did it then, we can do it today. If they had it then, we can have it today. Acts 2 and 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. They were together. That is our first example that we must live by. We must be together. We must have absolute unity. But what? In what? We must have unity in the faith. It is very important that we continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine of everything that Jesus both began to do and to teach carried out by the very acts of the apostles. What is that doctrine that we so love today? It is that there is only one true God. I've already said it, but let me say it again in a different way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. We've already read it, but let's say it again. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. I'm thankful that that one God, that true God, was manifest in the flesh of Jesus Christ. I'm glad that without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. I'm thankful today that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses upon them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. I'm thankful today for our doctrine that for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And I'm thankful that in him we can find hope and we can find peace and we can find our salvation. I'm thankful that through his death and his burial and his resurrection, when I repented of my sins and I was baptized in that wonderful name, Jesus, in water, immersed in that name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost came into me. I'm thankful today that that obtained me in the, in the Lamb's book of life. That is the plan of salvation. That is the only way to heaven, and I'm thankful for it tonight. I'm thankful that God has given us the opportunity to live in a holy way. I'm thankful that God has given us the opportunity to walk in that opposition of the world and live out holiness before him. Hear me tonight. That's both outward and inward. That's why we know in Hebrews 12 and 14, the Bible says, Follow peace with all men 
and holiness, without which no man, hear me, no man shall see the Lord. 2 Corinthians 6 and 17, Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I'm thankful tonight for our doctrine. I'm thankful tonight for our foundation. Everything that we stand on, I don't ever want to take that for granted. I don't want to stand pious to the world and say that we've got it all together. But I want to stand humbly before God with my hands lifted and say, I'm thankful, God, that you have revealed this unto me and allowed me to see this. And I want to take it to everyone that I can. Can we lift our hands right now? Can we thank him for everything that he's given us? Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for who you are, Lord. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. Hallelujah. 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 We need to be unified. To be unified in the faith. We also need to be unified in the spirit. 1 Corinthians 1 and 10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. We have to have the mind it is not the mind of man that has brought us where we are today. It is men that have availed themselves and pooled themselves together with other men that were devoted to God, that were revealed to the Word of God that has brought us where we are today. We must all have the same mind and the same goal. And all of that must rest solely in the purpose of Jesus himself. That cannot be negotiable and there must not be any division. A popular phrase used throughout our American history sums this up naturally. It says simply this, united we stand, divided we fall. The supposed origins place its historical records and attribute it to a Greek storyteller, Aesop. I don't attribute it to him. You see, it was Jesus Christ himself that instituted this principle. When he withstood pharisaical allegations as to his ability to cast out devils and cause them to flee, it was recorded in three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Its phrase is foundational and it's biblical. United we stand, divided we fall. In our modern culture, perhaps its most apt application is when Abraham Lincoln referenced it in his famous speech, aptly named House Divided. On June 16, 1858, at the Illinois State Capitol in Springfield, it's speech became the launching point for his successful campaign for that Senate seat. His remarks during the speech created an image 
of the danger of slavery and disunion, and it rallied Republicans across the North. Now hear me today. I'm not waxing political. But I do think that this is very pointed. And the best known passage of this speech reads as follows. This is Abraham Lincoln. A house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently. Half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall. But I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other. Either the opponents of slavery will arrest a further spread of it and place it where the public mind shall rest in the belief that it is in the course of ultimate extinction or its advocates will push it forward till it shall become lawful in all the states, old north as well as south. You see, it's either one way or the other. It's either unity or it's disunity. There is no in-between. And can I tell you tonight, the enemy has one goal and one goal only. That is to seek, to steal, kill, and destroy. His only goal is to separate out and cause factions among us, thus creating our own demise. But hear me, if there are divisions, it ceases to be a body. The United States could never be the United States split down the middle. And what he was saying was it will either be one way or it will be the other. But I like what he said when he started. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall. He interjected that ever so slightly to let the enemy know we're not going anywhere. Sure, that divisions that may come may split and they may cause factions, but we're not going anywhere. You see, there's a group of people that have stood for righteousness. There's a group of people that have stood for holiness. There's a group of people that have stood for one God and that there's only one way to heaven. And there may be other things that come in and try to wedge itself in and, and they may do so, but I don't expect the house to fall. I don't expect there to be divisions that would bring it down and dissolve it. I expect that the church will be triumphant just like Jesus said that it would. We are going somewhere and we are going there unified. You see, no one can survive separate from the body and the body cannot survive separated in itself. And when the body is not unified, no one, no one, no one benefits. No one. Not anyone inside of it and no one outside of it. That's why the Apostle Paul said that we must endeavor. We must strive and we must work toward keeping unity within the body 
of Christ. No entity, whether secular or spiritual, ever accomplished anything on this earth without it, without absolute cohesiveness. In order to maintain that cohesiveness, there has to be some constant attention that is given, and there must be diligent pursuit to it, togetherness. That's what we'll defeat. Togetherness, both physically and spiritually. Physically, I say togetherness. Fellowship is important. Don't let anybody ever tell you that fellowship is not important. We need to get as close to the body of Christ as we can. And the only way to develop the bonds of peace The only way to develop the unity that we so desperately need is to be in fellowship one with another. You see, when we're filled with the Holy Ghost, we're bound together by one spirit, which should create a desire for closeness, a family bond. David said that the Lord set the solitary into families. He never meant for us to be apart from the body. He meant for us to be in constant fellowship with one another. See, the arrival of the Holy Spirit in the life of the first century church produced an atmosphere of giving and unity. It created a desire to give of oneself in order to further the cause, and it caused a sense of selflessness, not selfishness, selflessness that facilitated the advancement of the kingdom. And they did that through fellowship. They did that through praise, and they did that through prayer. Not only did they come together physically, but they came together spiritually. And hear me tonight, the only way that we can be spiritually connected is to do it through prayer. We must be a people of prayer. Can somebody say amen? Amen. We must be a people of prayer. We must pray individually, but we must pray corporately. Every time that we come together, every opportunity that we get, we need to link arms together and we need to pray together. There's a reason for it. I'm here to tell you tonight that prayer changes things. I don't have to tell you that, but I feel like saying it again. Prayer changes things. We can pray individually and God can move in a miraculous way. But I'm here to tell you, and I can speak for a lot of people here, you can feel something when we come together and we begin to pray together and we we begin to touch one thing together and press toward that. Something happens when we pray together because prayer opens doors and prayer gets the attention of heaven. You see, when we pray together, we we can shake those foundations that hell has built up. When we pray together, we can open the prison doors and set the captives free. You see, prayer will cause angels to work on our behalf, and prayer can make literal government stop in their tracks and change their course. When we pray together. I don't, I don't just say this because I think it. I say it because I know it. Because God himself ordained it. He said, if my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray 
and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now I'm going to talk to me for a minute. You can just listen to me, talk to me. I can sit back and complain about the state of our being all I want to. I can sit back and make all kind of snide remarks about the choices that we have to make. But it does no good if I'm not able to humble myself and kneel before God and pray for those people. The Bible says we should pray for all men. Those that are in the rule over us, over kings, over over men that have the charge over us. So we should pray for our leaders. And if we are dissatisfied with the world around us, then all we need to do is bind together and pray. Because God said, if you will pray, I will hear and I will answer. When we come together and we fulfill the purpose of God, hear me, there will be results. It's not an if it's not a hope so. It's not a maybe. Because we have the God of the universe on our side. When we come together and fulfill the call of God, there will be results. If he said go, all we got to do is go. If he said do, all we have to do is do. And he said he would be with us. Always, even unto the ends of the world. You see, when we bind together with one mind and one accord, God will and does respond. I'm coming to a close, but I have a rather long ending, so our musicians, if you'll get ready. When we bind together with one mind and one accord, there will be results. There will be an end results. And we end Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard. Aaron's beard went down to the skirts of his garments as the dew of Hermon, as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion for there for there the Lord commanded the blessing For there, the Lord commanded the blessing. Some would contend that the book of Psalms is strictly a devotional value. However, I don't subscribe to that way of thinking. As with all scripture, it provides much more than mere devotional aspects. Although, it does provide devotional aspects. See, the book of Psalms, it provides much more. It provides encouragement. It provides wisdom. It provides instruction. 
direction and insight. Insight into who Jesus is and what he wants from us. And that's just what this song does for us. He said, behold, stop, look, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head, ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. Let's, let's grab the word picture that God is trying to show us in this passage of Scripture. You see, unity here is likened to the anointing oil or the ointment that was poured out upon Aaron in the book of Exodus. The principal spices made up this ointment, pure myrrh, sweet cinnamon, sweet calories, cassia, made up the holy anointing oil used to anoint the tabernacle and all the vessels in it. You need to understand this. It was, it was commanded that Moses anoint Aaron also and anoint his sons to minister to him with this in the priest's office. It's no doubt that these combinations of spices created a pleasant aroma aroma that was obviously chosen by the Lord himself. Now some commentaries would tell you that this was a psalm that was kind of geared toward the priesthood. It's talking about unity in the priesthood. And I agree with that. But we are, we are supposed to be priests now. When we're filled with the Holy Ghost, we've become the priesthood. Jerry talked about this last Wednesday night, I believe, when he talked about consecration, consecrating ourselves. You see, these combinations of spices created this pleasant aroma, and it was used to consecrate or to set apart service. It qualified whatever it was used to anoint to be used for the service of the Lord. And so with that, it also stands to reason that without it, the vessels could not be used, nor Aaron or his son stand in the office of ministration to minister unto the Lord. And so not only was God attracted to it, but it was needed to fulfill the office in order to come before him. Let me say it like this. If we're not willing to sacrifice ourselves, if we're not willing to give of ourselves, to set ourselves apart or our own agenda aside and come into the house 
and into the place where we are to be consecrated and set apart unto God in order to obtain the unity we so desperately need, then we cannot come before him. You see, one is contingent on the other and vice versa. Not only is God attracted to unity, but it requires unity to even come before him in the first place. You see, the unity is likened to the oil itself. One man said this, the oil was poured upon the head of Aaron so profusely as to run down upon his garments. It's customary in the east to pour out the oil on the head so profusely as to reach every limb. So profusely to reach every limb. So when pure unity is carried out, the result is abundance. When pure unity is carried out, the result is that everyone gets touched by it. When we come together and we unify as one and we come before God anointed, we come before God consecrated and sacrificed unto him, that's when he shows up and he pours it out even more. And the things that we left off to come in, the things that we pushed aside and, and pushed back to come into that, just seem so so inadequate to start with because when that anointing begins to pour, everybody is touched. God said, Jesus said, if you will lose your life, you will find it. If you will push some things aside, you'll get something so much more that it cannot even be measured by. You see, when we all come together, all of us benefit and all of us are touched. But David didn't stop there on to say it's as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion for there the Lord commanded the blessing even life forevermore and so as the dew that is made up of individual drops of water when they come together they create a body of water that blankets it pools and it causes a connection that creates strength in that connection and it soothes and it cools every heart that is involved in it. Every dry place is covered. Every dry stump is touched. Everything that it touches, it waters and it refreshes. Things can grow. Things can come to life when people come together in unity. But he did not stop there. It does not end there because it's there. It's in that place. It's in that setting that God commanded not a blessing but the blessing because there's blessing in unity. There's fullness when God's people come together in it. When we all say the same thing, when we all live the same thing, when we're all pressing toward the same mark, when we have all obeyed the commandments of God we have sacrificed ourselves and we have consecrated ourselves to the commandment of God. It's there that he will pour out the blessing, not just a blessing. But let me tell you this, and please, 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 please 
please excuse the simplicity of what I'm saying tonight, but the blessing is not money. The blessing is not cars or houses or anything that this world would call blessing. But the blessing is him. The blessing is his spirit. The blessing is, the, is Jesus Christ himself. When we come together consecrated unto him, that's when he shows up. And when he shows up, anything can happen. Blinded eyes can be opened. I'm telling you that the deaf can hear. The dumb can speak. The lame man can leap as a heart when Jesus comes into the place. You see, it's where he commanded the blessing. It's in the place where that unity resides and where it dwells. Not just one time, not just two times, but every single time time because we dwell together in it. He's drawn to it. And hear me today. It's what makes the church the church. It's not the song. It's not even the sermon sometimes, but it's where he is. And when he comes into the building or when he comes into your home or when he comes into your place of work, anything can happen. You see, it's why God visits this place so much so that he does. It's why he comes here every single time that we open these doors. It's because there's men and women that have drawn together in the bonds of peace and in the bonds of unity that have obeyed the scripture and God's command and have come together for one thing and one thing only, and that is the purpose of God. And his spirit is poured out. And even more so, when his spirit is poured out, that is the eternal life. When his spirit is poured out, men and women receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and his spirit is poured out. Acts 2 and 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. I'm here to tell you that that is the blessing. That's the blessing that he was talking about all the way back there in the Old Testament. He was looking forward to saying when these brethren come together like I've told them to and they begin to pray and they begin to press towards I've told them to do, I will pour out my spirit and I will give them eternal life. You see, unity produced Pentecost. Unity produced the miracle of the infilling of the Holy Ghost and it is the only thing that will produce it here in the 21st century. That's what God commanded. That's what God has reached for. That's why he robed himself in flesh. That's why he walked this earth. That's why he died. That's why he was hung on a cross. But I'm thankful that's why he rose again to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. So let's stand together. Unity. It's simple, yet it's very profound. Unity gives birth to great and powerful things. Unity caused and produced Pentecost.
Christ. Unity calls the walls of Jericho to fall flat and a great victory drop. It was unity that gave birth to the church itself, causing all that would come into contact with it to be forever changed. And so tonight I challenge you with this. I said we a lot. But I didn't say we as collecting us all together here in this place. I said we because I included in all of this. Because we can't be unified unless everyone has a part. The Spirit of God may be poured out because there's unity. But for everyone to be touched, stop hearing that metal 
you get that metal ding, ding. Because as soon as we stop hearing that, we stand the risk of losing everything that we have, everything that so many men have fought and bled and died for. The only way we're going to do it is together. I'm not trying to preach past the moment, but I'm just trying to drive something home right here. And every single heart is in this place right now. Let it be nailed down further and further and further. So much as you see the day approaching. Don't drift back. Just get closer in. I know it's tough. I know that the world is coming against us at a warped speed, but just keep getting closer closer and closer. You see, the enemy, if he can get you away from the path, you're a lot more vulnerable on your own. He can take you down so swift that you won't even know what hit you. But if you'll just get closer and closer to the church, if you'll just get closer and closer to this truth, you may not receive everything tonight, you may not understand everything tonight, but don't quit. Just open that word up again in the morning say, God, show it to me. Show me what you need me to do, Lord, in my life. Show me what I need to see. God, I want to do it. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to fulfill your will. Would somebody just lift your hands right now? Would you just begin to pray? Would you just begin to ask God to touch you, to give you a desire for his, for his body more than ever before? God, we need you. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.